Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. When Jesus was born, some wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They asked, Where is the baby who was born to be the king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Matthew 2, verses 1-2 We have several crashes in our family, all in storage at the moment, but there nonetheless. When Advent hits, the nativity scenes are brought out and displayed. The baby Jesuses are hidden away until after Christmas Eve Mass, and the three kings are placed in far-off places on windowsills, stairways, and bathrooms to make their journey slowly but surely to the manger, arriving with great pomp and ceremony on January the 6th. This activity and the singing about We Three Kings of Orient are keep the season going way beyond the one day of gifts. Boar's Head festivals also commemorate the coming of the kings on the twelfth night, as do coins and shoes outside bedroom doors, and a delicious king's cake with a crown or a coin or a trinket of some sort baked inside for a lucky person to find. In our family, there was lots of time to fully celebrate the first coming of Christ and looking forward to his second coming, starting with the advent wreath and the lighting of candles, then the birth and being allowed to sing all our favorite carols over and over again for only two Sundays, but lots of days at home, and ending with Epiphany, the manifestation of our Redeemer to the rest of the world, represented by the Magi. Although Epiphany continues until Lent, at least six more weeks, our creches come down with the tree on the 7th of January. The good news is carried in our hearts and, you know, I'm thinking, with no movable parts, my new carved nativity scene made in Palestine may just continue to grace my office desk for a few more weeks, maybe longer. Whatever your tradition at this time of year, remember to pay homage to your creator who became man so that we could enjoy his company for eternity. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny and I'm here to bust the preconceived ideas many have about what educating our children at home looks like. From the demurely dressed to the concealed handgun toting, the secular to the missionary, from the academic to the child-led, to entertainers or those suffering from illness, in college or on a boat, from teen parenting to the sex trade to child prodigies, from unemployment to the jungles of Ecuador and the bombs of Beirut, from broken homes to circus life to the Australian outback and the persecuted families of Europe. I've spoken to them all, and I enjoy the diversity of the culture we call homeschooling, an umbrella term embracing the learning that takes place outside the the traditional educational arena. Wherever we happen to be, schooling becomes a suffix. Bike, hack, boat, road, bed, hike, co-op, and the world. We'll do it 
anywhere. As well as including insights and delights from my wildflower household, where God dwells in the humdrum of the domestic life we stay-at-home mums and dads are called to live, I'll be joined by a guest and we'll talk about aspects of family life, which usually relate to homeschooling and always speak straight to the heart of parents who place the responsibility of child-rearing above their highest joy. With or without my children underfoot, I'm sure you'll agree, life is often ordinary, always busy, and sometimes frustrating. But for me, it always starts and ends with the beauty of creation. A smiling face, a setting sun, a rousing piece of music, or a simple hug. I'd love to offer you a cup of PG tips to fortify this hour, and a chocolate biscuit to tickle your taste buds and encourage you to stay. But you're on that side, and I'm over here, broadcasting live from East Texas, a small community on a golf course with lakes, where my blue-eyed cowboy and I are spending some time while God decides what to do with us next. After the first break, I'll be talking to Stephanie Langford, author of Keeper of the Home, a blog about nutrition and greener lifestyle choices. Stay tuned to be inspired by this delightful mum. I've already had my elevensies, a leftover slice of Christmas pudding and amaretto butter with a cup of bold coffee, and I'm all set for an hour to dedicate just to you. So grab whatever it is you're drinking and let me engage you with thoughts for the new year, beating the post-holiday blues and a little reminisce to counter the blank pages of my 2014 calendar. I'm ready. Are you? First off, Happy New Year. Here we are in 2014 already, and I'm so happy it isn't last year. We were busy putting our house on the market, not knowing what lay ahead for us, planning a wedding, clearing out 29 years' worth of stuff collected over, well... 29 years. There were six of us collecting for most of that time, but only two of us sorting and sifting. There's something about looking back on a year that is satisfying for me. It holds no mysteries because it's all happened. I can track it day by day in my journal and feel a sense of well-being because there are no surprises, at least not for 2013. My favorite thing to do as a homeschooler at the beginning of each year was to look back We call it reminiscing, not so much living in the past as enjoying the wonderful year we've just lived through with its inevitable ups and downs. As I do this, it helps me balance the anticipation and unknowns of the coming year. For some reason, it allows me to unwind and not fret so much because looking back at where I've been helps me soften into where I'm going, even if I don't know what the new year holds. I'll get through it if I remember who's at the helm. It's when I try to wrench the controls away that things start to go wrong in my heart, which in my body lies in the pit of my stomach most of the time. When I looked around my large family home and knew it had to be packed up into boxes, labelled and stored, I was daunted until I remembered my resolve to take things slowly, one step at a time. I tackled one room at a time, dresser by dresser, drawer by drawer. I sorted first and left the packing of boxes to the final week. I left the packing of boxes until we had a contract on the house, which just happened to be three weeks after my son's wedding. Packing those boxes was easily the most boring job I've ever done, and that included the mindless stocking and sorting of hundreds of pairs of socks the year I worked one summer in a large retail store sock department. 
This time I kept my mind focused on the task at hand, but I couldn't help daydreaming about the final day. I knew by the 1st of May we'd have to be out of the house by hook or by crook, and here I am, a survivor of box packing, looking forward to unpacking everything when we finally decide where we're going to live. I wonder, will it be as mind-numbing? I also kept things prioritized, meaning the wedding of the year came first, which it did chronologically. I have a notebook filled with lists ranging from Bible readings to wine glasses to cakes I was baking for rehearsal dinner, the organist, the guest list, and pages of other minutiae. Still, with the close proximity on the calendar of the two major life-altering events – Overlap couldn't be avoided. We weddinged, and my blue-eyed cowboy organized the painting of the house, the jacking up of the foundation, and the replastering of the pool. I sorted and threw away, going from room to room, closet to closet, drawer to drawer, snatching every spare moment to gently sift. My first guest of 2014 is Stephanie Langford, whose keeper of the home blog came to my attention through the website of one of my friends in homeschool. I was drawn to her tinctures and use of essential oils, and over the two months it took to finally catch up with her in Southeast Asia, I'd all but forgotten about the connection, except Stephanie's assistant hadn't, and she kept emailing me with possible dates and times. I'd wrapped up my shows for the year and was working on 2014, managing to book all of January except for today, when all of a sudden an email arrived with a date and time and a question Would I be available? And I was. As I've said before, I needn't worry who's going to show up on Friday. God always blesses me with someone. Stephanie Langford and I recorded our conversation. And as you'll hear, we had a delightful chat and only scraped the surface of what she does. Essential oils and tinctures did not feature very heavily in our conversation. In fact, they didn't feature at all. Stephanie's the blessed wife to Ryan, mum and homeschooler to her four favourite little people, and the grateful recipient of undeserved mercy and love from her heavenly father. Stephanie and her husband have spent the last year travelling and hack-schooling on a monumental journey around the world to almost 30 countries in 12 months. Her blog, Keeper of the Home, inspires and educates women on the topics of nutrition, natural homemaking, greener lifestyle choices, and frugal, simple living, all from a distinctively Christian worldview. She's the author of three books, Healthy Homemaking, One Step at a Time, Real Food on a Real Budget, How to Eat Healthy for Less, and Planet Don't Panic, a complete meal planning resource. It's time for me to go on my break now. You're listening to The Sociable Homeschooler on Toganet Radio, and this is Vivian McNinney. Go get something to drink, and I'll be back after these messages with my guest. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Mark Lipinski is coming to Toginet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. A live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan Rivers Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo, dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. Dive into the info and enjoy everything from celebs to entertainment news to recipes, quilting and needlework. 
knitting, painting, woodworking, Christmas crafts, and so much more. This show boldly encourages you to discover and harness your own creative spirit by living creatively every day. For more on Mark and the show, check out marklepinski.com. Don't miss the fun. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Levinsky. Wednesday afternoon, starting at 3, 2 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Welcome to my show, Stephanie. Thank you for having me, Vivian. Right. Well, I found you through a blog that one of my guests writes. She's preparing for a long trip, and she referenced you for natural solutions for keeping healthy. But you haven't always been healthy in your approach to life. So tell us a little bit about that, and and that way we'll learn a little bit about you and, and what started you on the road to a more healthy lifestyle. Sure. Well, um, growing up, I was certainly not healthy. I probably didn't eat any fruit. The only vegetables I ate were uh, baby carrots, or I think I considered tomato sauce a vegetable. And um, that was, uh, growing up, we ate all you know, convenience, packaged, processed foods mostly, um, or a lot of meat and starches, maybe some dairy. And I was not healthy uh, by the time I went to university. I had a lot of health problems. I had stomach problems. I was actually diagnosed with a hormonal disorder called polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so I was actually quite sick already by the time I was about 20, 21 years old. And... um, realizing just how sick I was at such a young age, that was actually what sort of kick-started me um, into researching a little bit more about health. And it began really simply. I just started researching, you know, what nutrition does a body need to function properly? And I was sort of blown away, like, wow, my body needs things like fiber and vitamins and minerals, and who knew? And it was just that really simple start um, that propelled me into a 10-year study of nutrition, which led to learning about um, more natural holistic health. And then that um, encouraged me to start learning about the toxins that are in our home. So our, our um, cleaning supplies, beauty products, and skincare, and all of that. And it's all just kind of been a rabbit trail um, into this wonderful uh, place of healthy living. And so that's become a real passion of mine, even though Um, obviously that's not where I came from, but now it's something that I love to learn about and it's something that I love to teach and write about as well. So did you share that with your fat, your parents? Oh, they, they know all about my healthy lifestyle now and they think I'm somewhat crazy and, uh, and I think they, they sort of admire it as well. So they'll, they'll eat food at my house, but you know, they, they continue to go their own way as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in, and so um, not immediately, but over, over time, you noticed a change in your body. And, and it's amazing, really, because you think you're fine. You think you're doing all right. But then obviously something happened and, and it knocked you down. So you looked yeah. for um, alternatives. What was the doctor saying? What was you, you obviously at that point weren't going to go to um, a natural remedies kind of practitioner. So what did the doctor you went to say to you? 
Um, well, the doctor I went to um, at that time, she diagnosed me with the polycystic ovarian syndrome. And, and I actually asked her at that point, and this was kind of a, a brave question for me because I, I really liked my life the way it was. I said, is there anything I can do about this, you know, lifestyle changes? Because she was telling me that I would never have children, that I would always be on medication, um, that I would need to go through different kinds of tests and procedures throughout my life. And I said, I really don't want to do that. Tell me what to do. I'll exercise. I'll change how I eat. Just tell me. She said, oh, you can't do anything. There's nothing you can do about it. And that was just the wrong thing to say to me (laughs) because that was my, you know, that was my motivation. Well, don't tell me I can't do it. So, um, and, and the thing is I did, I did change. Um, it really only took a couple of years before I started to feel so much better. I was able to fix, um, the stomach problems and the pain that I was having. And then, um, within a couple of years down the road, I got married and I was able to have my first child without any help, without any medication. And I've never, been on any kind of serious medication ever since. And the, um, the polycystic ovarian syndrome, I think that a doctor would not even diagnose me with that Mm. anymore. Like I don't even think it's actually really present in my body now because of all the changes I've made. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. The body is amazing if you treat it it properly. Yes. So, um, what's your favorite, favorite um, natural ingredient that you use on a regular basis. Do you have one? Uh, yeah, coconut oil. Coconut oil. Tell us how you use coconut oil. Well, I use it for cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, I use it in a lot of my baking. Um, I use it for for frying foods, and because it's a um, it's a a saturated fat, it can go to really high temperatures, but it remains really safe. So it's something that you can use, um, for frying foods and, but it has all of these great, um, natural fatty acids in it. It's also like antiviral, antifungal, antibacterial. It's just loaded with all these really good things. So I cook with it as often as I can in place of other, um, oils or fats. And I use it for making so many of my natural beauty products. You can use it to make toothpaste. You can use it just by itself as a lotion. You can use it as um, a lip gloss or um, put it into like a lip balm recipe. Um, there's so many things that you can do with coconut oil. I don't know. It's kind of amazing. So when you, you say you use it to fry, and now that word fry. <laughs> I know. That sounds kind of like it's, it sounds it's, unhealthy. Yeah, it's that, <laughs> like that big red flag that goes up. Oh, my gosh. But, you know, some things are really good when they're fried and yes. if you use a healthy oil then yeah. obviously you're you're saying it's antiviral antifungal anti as well anti lots of things so it's and good it, for you it is and you know um i we my family eats in a way um that we deem to be traditional which means we eat like our great 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 grandmothers would have, we eat foods that they would have recognized as just real whole foods that, Mm -hmm. you know, grow or are raised on a farm that aren't made in a factory. Mm -hmm. And so our theory of eating is that if a food actually comes from a real natural source, then there's nothing wrong with it in, in moderation and proper use. So that includes fats because our body, our bodies do need fat to function properly and it just has to do with the type of fats we eat and the amount. It's not that we need to be avoiding fat. Mm. 
Can you use the coconut oil several times, the same oil, or do you just throw it away when you finish with it? Um, if I was deep frying with it, yeah, you could use it a few times. But if I'm deep frying, I actually go back to something, a really traditional fat, and I use something like beef tallow because it's really um, – it, it never goes bad or starts to break down at high temperatures. So it's super safe for that high, high temperature frying. Um, coconut oil, I would tend to do more like, um, like my sautéing and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So you go ahead and get rid of whatever the excess. I would, the reason why yeah. I was asking was, as you heat it, does it lose some of its medicinal properties? Or as long as the oil is there, it will absorb into the food and those medicinal properties will go with it? Yeah, you do lose some of it with the heat. Okay. Um, some of it breaks down. And so like the absolute best, if you're looking for medicinal qualities, would be the, the raw, unrefined, organic coconut oil. Mm-hmm. And if you can eat at least a little bit of that raw every day, that is that really is a superfood for you. But, of course, it's great to use in your cooking as well. So can you use it in a dressing, like a salad dressing? Oh. Sure, you could use it yeah. in a salad dressing. Okay. People even put um, a little bit of it in like a smoothie or, okay. you know, okay. there's lots of different ways you could use it. Okay. But a lot of these natural foods have the same kinds of properties because there are other, I know there are others that are antiviral and antifungal. Garlic is one yes. of them. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And And so I suppose if you had a list of all of these foods that have all of that in it, you wouldn't really need to be taking... Um, other kinds of medications if you, you know, ate properly. That's what I always think. I always think, well, you know, grab a vitamin or grab a this, a supplement. And I think, why can't I just eat it? But sometimes you can't get enough, though, just eating it, like vitamin C, for example. What do you think about that? I think that there's sometimes when the body calls for extra. Mm. Um, and so I, I tend to to supplement in like a modified way. Like I'm not the kind of person who relies on uh, really regular supplements or or like multivitamins, but I think that occasionally if your body is maybe really run down with something, you might want to use like a vitamin C supplement because you're right. I mean, you just couldn't eat, you know, that many oranges or that many red peppers to get that amount of vitamin Mm -hmm. C in your body to really help you fight that infection. Mm -hmm. Um, But just to maintain, you know, your everyday health, the vitamins and minerals that you get from just eating a a fresh, wholesome diet should be plenty to keep you healthy. Mm. So how did your, your blog start your, your website, which took off? Tell us about that. Well, it actually started because, um, my husband was really sick about seven years ago. And, um, after he got better, and um, that was when we really started to, you know, to dig even further into healthy living because I wanted to make sure that um, he could get, you know, he could fully recover and we could all stay as healthy as possible. So after that, um, I was home with a baby and a toddler and I really felt like I wanted a way to express all this amazing stuff that I was learning through my research. I didn't want to keep it to myself and I felt like I've only known these things for a few years and I had to work so hard to learn them and I had to get sick first Mm. before I learned them. So how many people out there are there who would love to to learn all of this and who would just be amazed at the things that I'm I'm finding in these books? So I thought, I'm just going to start sharing it. And I didn't think the blog was going to be a big deal, but it turned out there were a lot of other, other women, other moms and homemakers who were 
maybe starting down the same path or wondering what it would look like to live healthier. And they were really interested, and I realized that I really loved doing it. So it just kind of grew from there. It was really a surprise. And it did grow. You have people that help you now, and I read somewhere on there that you didn't want to spend full-time working on your blog and your website because you were um, a stay-at-home mom who wanted to be a mom, so you couldn't do both of those, so you kind of shared it out. And tell us about that. Tell us how that works. Yeah. Well, a few years ago, I was trying to do it, and the blog was really growing, and my husband and I were entrepreneurs, and um, we also own another uh, family business, and we really love that the blog was helping us to, you know, to earn a living. And mm-hmm. it was great, but it just wasn't worth it for me to take so much of my time because I was really getting sick and worn down and it was truly becoming a full-time job. Mm-hmm. So um, we decided it would be better for us to make a little bit less money, to, but to be able to keep the site going and have me be a bit more relaxed and less stressed out so that I could actually continue to do what I loved in the first place, which was to cook healthy foods for my family and to be there with my kids and to homeschool my kids. And so we started hiring, um, we've, you know, we've hired an ad manager, we have a social media manager and I have an assistant. And then we also have a bunch of writers who work on the site as well. Mm -hmm. And so it's become really a collaborative community blog, which I love. And I, um, it's a really fun place for, uh, for me to work and to get to know all these other women and um, to have them share as well. And it means that I still get to do what I love part-time, but also still be full-time with my family. Well, I read on there, you, you are a, a stay-at-home mom. You want to be a full-time mom. And you said that you left school and are totally unprepared to be a stay-at-home mom. Uh, yeah. Tell us about that because I think a lot of young women who want to stay at home with their children, so they they start off by going to college and by by working in the traditional um, workforce and then have their family and stay at home. Doesn't staying at home, I mean, I, I think might be, nat- you know, that comes naturally, which it is supposed to. I know motherhood is supposed to come naturally. It doesn't always come naturally. <laughs> um, no, so tell us about that. Why, why did you feel that you were unprepared to be a stay-at-home mom? Well, going through public school, I used to think that I really wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I wanted to have a large family, and I would talk about those aspirations, you know, maybe in class or with, you know, classmates or with a teacher. And uh, the response I would usually receive is, you're too smart of a girl to do something like that. Mm-hmm. You need to have a career. Mm-hmm. And when you hear those comments enough over time, you begin to think, wow, maybe I really should do something different with myself. Maybe just being a stay-at-home mom isn't really a great idea. Mm-hmm. So I, I sort of went with that pressure to you know, really make something of myself and in high school, I worked really hard to get good grades so that I could go to university uh, to earn scholarships. And I did go ahead and I went to university for four years. And because of all the work that I did in high school to earn money to get good grades, I never really had time to learn anything from my mom. I was always off working a part-time job or uh, you know, doing some kind of volunteer work or um, doing homework. And there was no extra time to learn to cook or bake with her, anything like that. I mean, I did a little bit of cleaning around the house, mm-hmm. but 
but not very much. I didn't know what it took for a household to run. I had no idea what she did all day, really, to keep up with the cleaning, to maintain the laundry, to Mm -hmm. do the grocery shopping, the budget. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And then I went to university, a single young woman preparing to have a career. And, you know, I just did the dorm life thing. I was eating in a cafeteria. All I had to keep clean was my bedroom. I mean, I had no... I had no concept. So I graduated from university, still not knowing how to take care of my finances, still not knowing how to cook, um, being really unprepared. And by the time I got married two years later and then had a child a year after that, I was just thrown into this new world of Mm. being a wife and being a homemaker and being a mom. And I was really overwhelmed. And, And then at that point, I began to regret that I'd spent all of that time pouring myself into education and career instead of actually, you know, learning some of the life skills for having a home and a family. That is a sad statement on our lives that staying at home is considered something that if you're bright, you don't want to waste your time staying at home being being a stay-at-home mom, isn't it? It's, it's really sad. And mm. It's unfortunate that we feel that way because a stay-at-home mom gives so much of herself to her family and it requires a lot of intelligence. It requires a lot of skills. It's certainly not a lesser thing, but um, we really look down upon it in our society. Yeah, we do. Well, Stephanie, we're going to have to go on a short break now. I'm talking to Stephanie Langford and we've been talking about some of the healthier, more natural methods and and foods that she uses within her household and when we come back after our short break we are going to be talking about what she is actually up to now so don't go far how do you handle toddlers teens and tirades when homeschooling that's what we're working on now it's vivian mcnitty the sociable homeschooler and we'll be right back after these Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Stephanie and I are going to be talking about her life at the moment. She's, she's doing something really quite interesting that really doesn't um, show up much on her website. So 
I'm as excited to learn about what's going on in your life, Stephanie, as all my listeners are, I'm sure. So tell us what you're doing now, and you're going to be doing it for another six weeks, you said. So give us a, yes. give us a little bit of insight as to your life today. Well, as of um, last year, January 23rd, my husband and I and our four young children, mm-hmm. we took off on a plane and we started a one-year journey around the world. And our goal was to spend time in different countries on every single continent before we came home. Right. So you obviously planned it. You didn't just wake up on January the 1st and go, okay, in three weeks, off we go. So (laughs) how long had this been? How long had this been bubbling? Um, The idea of taking a year off to move somewhere, to move to a different country, um, that had been being talked about for maybe three or four years before we ever did it. Mm-hmm. But initially it was just, let's take a year, go live in one country, mm-hmm. try to learn the language, immerse ourselves. And that was the idea. But somewhere along the way, one of us, my husband or I, mm-hmm. uh, we suggested maybe we could go to a bunch of different countries mm-hmm. in a year. And I really gravitated to that idea because I've always wanted to travel. And so somehow that's what it became. And we planned it for about 14 months from the time that we decided, yes, we're definitely doing this until the time that we left. Mm -hmm. And even that, it it wasn't enough. I mean, it's a huge task to plan this trip, but, um, but now we've been doing it for about 11 months. So it's happening. Did you rent your house? How did you do that? So at the time we were still um, renting house because mm-hmm. we live in a really high housing market. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was, um, we got rid of our house, uh, you know, let somebody else rent it out and we sold our car mm-hmm. and we sold a lot of our belongings. We packed up all the things that were really important to us that we wanted to come home to. Mm-hmm. And we prepared, we, we own a music school, uh, back home in Canada. Mm-hmm. And so we prepared the music school so that we could leave it in the hands of our staff Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we just packed ourselves up and, um, and we're, we're traveling just with a very small amount of stuff. Um, each person has one bag and then we have a couple extra small backpacks. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's it. We tried to keep it a pretty simple affair. Did you plan each country you were going to go to? Did you have all your, your flights and your travel arrangements and your, your hotels already booked before you left or do you do it on the fly? Um, it's been a mix of both. Before we left for our trip, we had flights for our first six months, but that's it. Um, and we had, um, we had a mix of some of our accommodations pre-booked, like all of our Europe ones were booked because we were going during the spring and summer and I wanted to have a lot of that planned out. Mm -hmm. Um, but most of our other things like our stuff in South America, uh, Turkey, anything else beyond that, it wasn't planned at all. So, um, it's not uncommon to find me booking hotels a night or two before we need them. Mm-hmm. And pretty much in every country that we're in, I'm working ahead on the next one or two countries trying to plan what we'll be doing there. Okay, so you said you always wanted to travel. So did you travel with your family before. when you were growing up? Uh, growing up as a kid, um, no, I didn't travel a lot. We traveled a little bit within North America. Um, I'm from the west coast of Canada. So we traveled a little bit through some of the Canadian provinces 
And once I took a road trip down the west coast of the United States. Mm -hmm. But that's about all the travel I did as a kid. It was when I was a teenager, I went to Mexico uh, with a church group. And then as a young adult, my husband and I, um, we actually spent our first year of marriage living in Japan. So that was my first real international experience, I would say. Um, and that, that sort of sparked something in me for wanting to travel again more one day. Mm. All right. Well, I haven't asked you, and I know my listeners are going, why hasn't she found out how many children? Well, you said four, but how old are they? <laughs> well, they're really young, actually. My oldest just turned nine a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And then I have a six-and-a-half-year-old, a, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old. He'll be two just after we come home in February. Okay, so he was just about to turn one when you set off. Yeah, he yeah he was eleven months old. Yeah, how do you take your your natural medicines with you? Do you have a bag just with all your natural stuff in it? I have a huge bag, and maybe you could link to it in the show notes. But I've actually written a post on Keeper of the Home where I showed everything that's in my medicine kit. It's really extensive and it's mm -hmm. really heavy, and I make my husband carry it in his suitcase. Mm -hmm. So what do you call that? Your medicinal bag? Yeah, natural, I guess so. Natural the cabinet. medicine kit. Yeah. My husband calls me the witch doctor, but he means it in love. My, my family's really happy that I take good care of them with all these herbs and vitamins and everything. Yeah. Yeah. That, there's a family that travels and she makes yogurt every night. She carries that, the, the ingredient that she needs and uses either uh -huh. the local water or the, the milk and, uh, she said how important that is. So her husband it will, is. yeah, will have a, he'll have a beer. <laughs> They'll drink the water. <laughs> but, you know, just, just to keep that, uh, your stomach with the, with that bacteria, you know, the local bacteria going on. Oh, so that's such a good idea when you're traveling because yeah. you really need to keep your stomach healthy. Yeah. So for you, how, how has this year been? I mean, everything you expected and more or, Moments of, oh, shoot, I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been all of the above. Yeah. Um, we've definitely had moments where we've said, I'm so tired. Mm -hmm. I'm so tired of living out of a backpack. I'm mm -hmm. so tired of just the everyday exhaustion of trying to keep up with traveling with four kids. Mm -hmm. Or just, you know, I miss home. I miss our kitchen. I miss our bed. I miss our friends. Mm -hmm. um, we've definitely had times when we've wanted to go home, but... We've also had so many good times, so many times when we've just unexpectedly, um, you know, met some really interesting people on our trip or just stumbled on a really cool village or town where we uh, just kind of fell in love with it or where we w were able to go to some incredible site or, you know, ruin or, um, you know, a natural wonder like a waterfall or something. And we And those times then we're just blown away and we're like, I can't believe we get to do this. Like we feel so blessed. It's so rich and rewarding. So a year like this has all of it. It has boring days and it has totally thrilling, exhilarating days. And it has really hard days and easy days and it's everything. But I, I don't regret it for a second. We're so glad we did it. So typically how long do you stay in each place? You say you stay in a couple of countries on each continent have you managed to do that pretty much yeah we have i mean in south america we stuck mostly to one main country because we were really trying to work on our language there 
But then in Europe, like we really bounced around mm-hmm. because we really wanted to see a lot of different places in Europe. So, you know, we've had different uh, strategies depending where we were, but the the shortest, um, I mean, sometimes we stay places for just a night or two if we're just trying to hop around and see a bit of a certain area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the longest we've ever stayed in a place is we've, we've stayed for one month or five weeks in a couple of places. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice when we do that because then we feel like we really get to know an area, um, you know, get to know more of the language, more of the culture. So we, we try to we try to go back and forth between moving faster and then slowing down and settling in a place for a while. Mm-hmm. And your children, are they enjoying it? They are. When we first started, they were pretty homesick. They missed their friends a lot, and the travel was a bit hard on them. Um, they they enjoyed the fun things we did, but they definitely had hard moments. But I feel like somewhere around, I don't know, four or five, six months, everything really clicked and they they realized, you know, we'll see our friends again, but we're actually having a lot of fun. And as a family, we started really gelling more and enjoying it more. Mm-hmm. And since that time, they've been having, uh, I, I think they've enjoyed the experiences more and they've poured themselves into it more. And they love it. I mean, my nine-year-old, she's already talking about the backpacking trip she's going to take on her own when she's 18. And my six-year-old is talking about how we should do a bike trip across Canada. And, you know, they love it. They love traveling. They're mm-hmm. excited about the next place. And they're always talking about, remember when we went here. So mm-hmm. it's neat to see them engaging in it. Yeah. So favorite place, least favorite place, most frightening uh, place? <laughs> Oh gosh, I could give you all of those. Um, favorite place? I don't know if it's really my favorite. It's so hard to say, but Turkey is one of our very favorite places as a family. It is a phenomenal place because you get a bit of the European culture, but a bit of Asian slash Middle Eastern culture. Mm-hmm. The food is incredible. The people are warm and friendly, and the sites are so varied. You've got big cities, you've got beach, you've got ancient ruins, you've got incredible natural wonders. Like it's it's everything. It's mm-hmm. a really cool place. Mm-hmm. Um, a place that we didn't love as much. Um, we we loved India for our first couple weeks, and by our last two weeks, we felt like we were ready to be done. It's a it's a hard place. Yeah. Um, we had to be really vigilant, and we got sick quite a few times. Yeah. And there are just some cultural differences that you know, that we struggled with. And so I think we were ready to move on from there. Mm-hmm. Um, place that was a little bit scary. Um, most places actually haven't been, even though we've heard frightening stories about everywhere. Oh, don't go here because it's this. And don't go here because of that. And then you go and you realize, oh, my goodness, it's totally fine here. Mm-hmm. But um, we did have a scary experience going to the West Bank in Israel. Yeah. Um, and we actually decided to turn around and leave. So... Um, you know, you got to have a couple of those in every trip. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, did you do much of the Middle East? Yeah, actually we did. We did a month in Turkey. We did a month in Israel and Jordan. And then we uh, visited Qatar and Dubai as well. Oh. That wasn't like, really yeah. the plan yeah. at first, but it happened that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, you homeschool. You're a homeschooler before, not just because you're traveling. Is that right? Yes. Right. All right. And taking it on the road, homeschooling on the road, was was that easy? Um, 
No. Different? Uh, it depends Different. how structured you were, I suppose, before you went. And I was fairly structured because mm-hmm. I leaned towards a classical approach. Mm-hmm. So um, it's classical with a bit of, you know, eclectic Charlotte Mason, hands-on. Like, we were definitely a mix, but um, traveling makes it really, it's really hard to stick to some of your your basics. We can't carry workbooks because we're backpacking. Mm-hmm. So we just don't have the space and we can't handle the weight of it. Um, so, you know, we were really good at some things like math and phonics and grammar and all that for the kids in the beginning. But we've, <laughs> we found it harder as we've continued to travel. Um, we haven't kept up with all of that, but you know, kids still learn. Mm-hmm. That's what I've been realizing lately. They do. They still pick up things that they need to know, even if you're not completing the curriculum. Yeah, yeah. So do you do preparation before you go to a country so that you, you've got some kind of cultural experience, even if it's just off the computer, before you hit a new place? Well, my Kindle is full of guidebooks, okay. and I try really hard to read right. the history. Mm-hmm. And the culture sections of a new place before we go there. And frequently when we're traveling in the plane or in the train, wherever we are heading to our new destination, then I'll try to read parts of the history to the kids or I'll try to give them an idea of a site that we're going to see or the importance of a city or I'll try to prep them on some of the language or, you know, the culture. Like in India, we always eat with our right hand, not our left hand, Mm -hmm. those kind of things. So we're continually talking about that and reading things as we go. Eating. Okay. Yeah. Do you have, do you have picky eaters or how, how did you eat on the road? What did it look like for you, your family meal time? <laughs> you know what it looks like? Um, I don't have really picky eaters. My kids are actually really good kids. Like they're uh-huh. the kind that ask for salad in restaurants. Yeah. But we've had to just find in every new place, what are the foods here that, that we all enjoy and what are the healthy local seasonal foods that we can pick out of what they eat here Mm -hmm. because you know junk food is ubiquitous all over the world and there's definitely things that we don't like like none of us enjoy spicy food at all Mm -hmm. so we have to work around that but everywhere I think we've been able to find like pick and choose some of the really great um, fruits or vegetables or some of the dishes that they eat some of the you know whether it's the breads or the cheese or the meat or soups or whatever. We found something everywhere that we like. So we just try to find some favorites and then stick with those. And you, and you have the opportunity to cook yourself or are you always eating out? Um, um, I, we try to cook for ourselves as often as possible. Sometimes we have to just use hotels because it's the simplest, but yeah. whenever possible, we will rent apartments mm-hmm. that have kitchens mm-hmm. because we really prefer to cook for ourselves and yeah. we think it helps us engage with the local culture yeah. in a you know, in a deeper way. Yeah. So, so where have you just come from? I, I hear China. So uh, are you finished with China? Are you still in China? We're still in China. We're okay. halfway through our time in China, but um, we just finished up with a bit of uh, more Northern China, Beijing and Xi'an. Mm-hmm. And now we're actually down South. We're going to head to Cambodia just mm-hmm. for five days. It's kind of a little birthday present for me. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go and see Angkor Wat, the amazing temple ruins there, um, just for five days. And then we're going to hop back into China and spend a bit more time in southern China. Are you enjoying China? Yeah, you know, we really are. Um, we weren't sure if we would or not, but China's been really fascinating. It's like a different world. It's mm-hmm. so 
completely unique to anything that we're used to in North America, but it's fascinating. The only hard thing about China is um, if you don't speak the language, yeah. it's tough. It mm -hmm. is the toughest place that we've traveled in that sense because everything is just incomprehensible, very foreign. Yeah, a little side story. Who was it? I think it was um, the Millers, Jennifer Miller. Um, she was in, they were in China and they were in a paddy field somewhere. And she said they were trying to find somewhere where they could stay because her family's quite large. She had to have uh, two separate places so, you know, all the girls could sleep together, all the boys could sleep together. And right. she said, here we were doing um, Google Translate in the middle of this this field <laughs> with this with this farmer and they were uh -huh. doing google translate and i thought wow that's amazing how you can do that when you're so far away from home so that is amazing i've never done it in a rice paddy but i was doing it in a chinese herbal pharmacy today at the airport <laughs> all right yes so use your yeah. technology that's fantastic and yes. I, we haven't even been able to talk about um your your work very briefly Tell us what you mm -hmm. and your husband are doing on the road because you say you work as well. And then give us right. your, your website. <clears throat> okay. So, of course, we're still running our music school back home. We have to keep up with our okay. staff back there. Um, but other than that, um, we run Keeper of the Home actually as a business. So I am more the um, writer, editor, visionary of the site and um, my husband, he does more of the business end of the site. He's the numbers guy, and he's really good at marketing and things like that. So mm -hmm. together, we're a really good pair, and um, and we manage the site. We also have another uh, business that we run together with a partner. It's called ultimatebundles.com, and we sell um, ebook bundles that we put together that are geared towards homemakers. We have one that's specifically um, for just all sorts of topics for homemakers. And then we run another one about healthy living um, and we run those twice a year. So okay. that's the other main thing that we do. Um, so obviously my, my website is keeperofthehome.org and then our other website is ultimate-bundles.com. All right. Well, I will have both of those linked on my show page and on my website. So listeners, if you just go there, you'll be able to go find Stephanie. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me today and um, okay. I will definitely be, be looking you up and um, talking to you once you get back to America. Thank you. It was nice to meet you, Vivian. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix.
Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. You're listening to The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet Radio, and I'm your host, Vivian McNenny, and I was talking to Stephanie Langford about everything but essential oils and tinctures, so she'll just have to come back for another show. She's the author of three books, Healthy Homemaking, One Step at a Time, Real Food on a Real Budget, How to Eat Healthy for Less, and Planet Don't Panic, a Complete Meal Planning Resource. You'll find them on my website, The Sociable Homeschooler. Scroll to the bottom and click. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about life, what she carries in her natural medicine kit on the road, homeschooling, she and her husband Ryan's entrepreneurial skills, and her favorite natural food. Go over to her site, keeperofthehome.org, and be inspired, if not to totally change your life, at least to try some of the natural remedies she's adopted over the last decade. What better way to start a new habit than the beginning of a new year? As I gently sifted through my belongings last year, I thought, how does so much stuff fit into one house? We pile trash at the roadside week after week, and still no one would have noticed any gaps or empty spaces inside our house. Absolutely amazing. Somewhere in the mix of all that, life continued happening, and a dear friend upped and died despite his last wishes of attending my son's wedding. He was there for the proposal the year before, shivering at the state fair with all of us to witness his favourite young actor's declaration of love. He was a guest on my show last year too and told many stories for the first time. He also recorded a New Year inspiration for me after enjoying Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving dinner with us. He took our family Christmas photo last year also. He made it to the couple's shower and enjoyed the company of many young friends with a strong virgin margarita. He lost the battle barely a month before the wedding and his funeral occurred on my nearly wedded son's birthday. We dropped everything to help arrange the service and the reception and his appearances on my show were played with accompanying photographs of him when he was younger. Posted in pride of place on his bulletin board at his house was the wedding invitation. My son saw it when he went to feed the dogs. He'd given the newly wedded couple the gift of his timeshare for their honeymoon in the Caymans, and they named their first pair of blue-winged macaws, Walter and Lemon, in honour of him. I survived those spanners, and the wedding went exactly as it should have, given the amount of planning it entailed. The photos took a long time to come, so it was a case of, well, my bank account looks as though there was a massive party, but so far I've nothing to show for it apart from the dress in the closet. Soon to be the dress in a box. And then I had only one more item to cross off my to-do list. In my journal, I'd written notes like six more times to walk out to the bin and two more sleeps and one more yoga class in my office. Final things came hard and fast, and before I knew it, I'd put my last load of laundry in, turned the key in the lock for the final time, dragged the bins out to the curb for one last collection, and rifled through the last piece of mail to be delivered in the mailbox for me. I was still standing when the day of the big move dawned, and I was truly sceptical that everything would fit into the two storage units. In an attempt to help the process along, my Texan and I had moved all the books from my office into one of the units, about 60 boxes, single-handedly, one evening. Why? 
I have no idea. Funny things happen in fretful minds. On a previous on a previous reconnoiter, we had measured the length of the cars and drawn a line for how far the eunuchs could be packed and still allow parking space, which didn't seem to leave much room. However, sixty boxes got lost in the back of the unit, and we had a whole lot more than sixty boxes left in our house. Twenty-nine years worth of filtered, sorted through, but still copious. Stuff. When the three men in a truck showed up, there were four of them, and they were good. I was still packing up the kitchen because I needed utensils and pans until the last minute, and I was still nodding off over the boxes with sheer, unadulterated boredom. As the rooms emptied out, the brooms came, and all hands were on deck to clean, sweep, and scour the echoing spaces. The children had arrived to pay their final respects. A swarm of flying ants were uncovered behind the office bookcase when we moved it out to mop, and a soaking in insect spray took place. This clean-up was quick and efficient, and I thanked the Lord that the swarm hadn't occurred a couple of days later, when the new owners had already moved in. They were carpenter ants, not termites, but they still raise alarm bells all the same. One load made it to the units, and they returned the four men with three men in the truck to take the second and most complex load because there were three places the contents were going: storage units, then oldest son's flat to switch out some furniture, and the youngest son's rental home to take delivery of a houseful of furniture, some for keeps, some on loan. The whole move took seven hours and was brilliant. When it was over, I was finished. Looking back as I'm doing now, I'm learning all kinds of lessons. Breathe deeply and know it will happen. There's lots of work though. Don't get me wrong; it's all in the planning and in the fruits from God: the love, joy, the peace, patience, kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, gentleness, and loads of self-control. Even with everything in storage, there were still unwanted items in the house. Finished or not, I had two days to pack for our move to England, where steps were underway to rid ourselves of the London flat. Normal people would move into a new home on the day of closing, but we are not normal people. We packed six suitcases and hand baggage and another few bags of overflow and checked into a hotel. We repacked and made a final trip to the storage units before closing. The following day, with joy, I watched the money hit my bank account, and that was that—gone, after twenty-nine years. We did all the sorting, packing, and selling again in England, which turned into a real case of déjà vu, only spanning many more years. I turned up china and knickknacks from my childhood. Along the way, Dorts was actually paid to do what she loves most—dance. And she toured the Mediterranean and visited countries I'd only ever seen on a map to boot. This was where she officially left home, and we became rattling around, no children underfoot or strings attached, empty nesters for real. We flew back to America the day after completion on the London flat, and spent the next two months between town and country working on the same few clothes we'd chosen while in the tornado of a wedding, a funeral, and a house sale. I still marvel at how few clothes I can manage with. As long as I'm going somewhere really casual or extremely dressy, I've got the wardrobe for it. 
And now, with the chaotic year behind me, I have to admit, even though I'm still alive and kicking off to the battering of 2013, I was ill for six weeks on my arrival in England. Not that you'd know, I continued with life, but I was run down and my body was rebellious, and it took a long time to shake my cough. Coming back to America wasn't nearly as traumatic, and this little reminisce with you for a few minutes has helped no end. If I can live through 2013 and tell the tale... I can certainly live through 2014, too. It's the unknown that's unsettling at first, but it's exciting, too. I'll just tap God on the shoulder and say, fancy a tropical island this year? Happy New Year to all of you. Stay calm and carry on. And it's time for me to leave you for another week. I'm off to town to do my first real grocery shop of the year, and then we're going to meet someone from the local community theatre and perhaps get involved with their next show. You've been listening to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'll be back same time, same place next Friday. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, my guest this week, Stephanie Langford, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Joel, Anne, Rosemary, Kathleen, Esme, Millicent, Margaret, Jacob, Walter, Jane, Olivia, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Stay tuned all the time and catch lots of great shows to glide you through your day. Take care and be safe. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children ages 24 to 18 who were willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So, we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.